What's up, Repray Your Family? We are back with another Bible study message for you. And continuing in our series in the book of Acts, we are hearing from Angie Pierce, who delivers an amazing, powerful, beautiful message on chapter six and seven in the book of Acts. We truly hope and pray that this message resonates with you and empowers you. Like Kaya said, we're going to be in Acts chapter six and chapter seven. So get your Bibles out. Um, I'm going to share my screen again. Um, for chapter seven, we're not going to read through all 60 verses. We're just going to hit some of the key points. Um, but at the end, if anybody has any questions on chapter seven during the discussion, feel free to ask. Um, so let's pray real quick and then we will get started. So I'm going to share my screen real quick. All right. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this anointed place, Father God, where we can come and be vulnerable. We can be honest. We can be open, Lord God, and we can be transparent. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will attune your ear, our ears, Lord, to your voice and that we will hear something fresh today, Lord God, that we will hear something in the text, Lord, that we've never heard before, Father, and that our hearts will be changed. Father God, we ask that if we have hearts of stone in this moment um, that aren't ready to receive, Lord God, that you would give us hearts of flesh, Father, to hear everything that you have to say and be able to make it practical. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of the sins, Father, that we've committed knowingly, unknowingly, Lord God, and that you would just bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Acts chapter six. Oh, hold on. Let me go back. Uh, so I want to give a, a recap real quick from last week. We we dove really deep into Acts chapter five. Um, some of those key takeaways. Number one, focusing on doing what God has called you to do, right? Not what everyone else appears to be doing. And we got that out of the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, based on what they did as far as trying to act generous. Um, and we're going to kind of hit on that point today when we talk about servant leadership. So the two big things we're going to talk about today from these chapters is servant leadership and um, evangelism. So uh, let's keep that at the forefront of our minds. Second key takeaway from last week, model what you believe, teach, and preach, right? It's great to be able to talk to the talk, but we need to be able to walk the walk as well, right? And that's only made possible through spending time um, with the Father, right? Through reading our word, um, through allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our feet, our words, our actions, our behaviors, all those things, right? Next key point or takeaway from last week, who sets the principles of obedience in your life? Is it the one true king, Jesus, right? Or is it rulers of this world? And I think that that's a, a decision and a question we have to ask ourselves daily. Um, next key point, seek true revelation of who God is in his fullness, right? Obedience, total commitment, and fear of the Lord are the avenues of getting there, right? If I'm not committed to actually getting to know God, I won't get to know him, right? I will always find some caveat to not. Um, if I'm not obedient, right? Can I truly even please God in disobedience? Can I truly get to know him? Will he show me his face if I'm not actually obedient? The answer is no, right? And then fear of the Lord. Uh, scripture tells us fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, right? It's the beginning of wisdom. So um, I have to have wisdom and knowledge to truly be able to have a revelation of who God is. Uh, and then the last key point um, key takeaway from last week is it's a privilege to be carriers of the gospel. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we live in a country where it's quite easy to forget that um, this is a privilege and an honor to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ and not have somebody at our necks or at our throats or anything like that, right? So let's keep that at the forefront of our mind as we are journeying through the book of Acts with that mindset of becoming the church that God intended. All right, so chapter six and seven. So this is pretty much what um, what they lead up to showing us, right? So the chosen seven, um, it's, that's a, a, a great story to understand that we all uh, need to serve. And it, it doesn't mean that we're all gonna serve in the same capacity, right? Um, but we are all called to serve the church in some capacity. Um, and then I also wanna take a, a quick look at, you know, church leadership and how people are actually selected. Uh, to serve in those leadership positions. The next thing, devotion to the call. What does it mean to be devoted to the call on my life? And I think that that really hits on the point of focusing on what God has called me to do and not focusing on Jorian's calling or Sean's calling or Ron's calling or Ray's calling, right? 
I'm focusing on the call over my life. I'm devoted to that, which sometimes means that I have to say no, right? I have to say no to the things that people want me to do that maybe aren't in God's will for me to do. Maybe that's not what the Lord is calling me to do right now. So that's what I want us to keep in mind. And then the last thing we're going to look at is the life of Stephen. And I love his, I, I love his story overall. Um, he's the first Christian martyr, which basically means he was the first person uh, to be killed for Christianity, for preaching and teaching the gospel. So we'll dive into that some, um, and we'll, we'll take some key points away from that as well. All right, so let's start. Acts chapter six, let's start at verse one. It says, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenist, uh, Hellenistic Jews, that just means Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebraic Jews, which are basically Aramaic-speaking Jews, right? Um, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The 12 apostles summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and wisdom who can appoint uh who we can appoint to this duty right so i love the i love verse two which basically we're going to hit on that in a second um but notice how the apostles gave the disciples a task in, and this is the whole company of, of disciples right um gave them a task of looking for some with uh, excuse me looking for people with good reputation why does good reputation matter in church leadership is it a matter of respect is it a matter of being them able being uh people actually being able to honor them we got to think in that right full of the spirit do i want a leader in the church that does not yield to the holy spirit that does not look to the direction of the holy spirit right that is not actually the last thing as it says full of wisdom do i want someone who can't make decisions that's indecisive right and most of the time, no, it's hard to honor and respect people that we don't think have a good reputation that aren't full of wisdom and the spirit. So we have to keep that in mind, right? Um, but I, I also want to hit on one thing, right? So we now, throughout the book of Acts, we see that the 12 disciples, right? The Well, the book of Acts went into 11 and then they added one, right? But they have moved from disciples to apostles. And I think that we need to understand the difference in disciples and apostles, right? So disciples are those under someone's leadership actually being discipled, right? They're being sent out on tasks. They have an overseer, whereas the apostles are those overseers now, right? They spent three and a half years under, G uh, under Jesus, right? Um, they spent time being discipled, and now they are giving that same knowledge. They're giving that same wisdom. They're teaching them what it means to follow Christ, right? So we want to make sure we understand the difference in this scripture about the apostles versus the disciples. The disciples are those that are being taught in this time, right? And the apostles are actually those teachers. So let's look at the seven, right? So these are the seven um, but I want to make note of Stephen and uh, Nicholas, right? So Stephen is described in the scripture as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And that's key to understanding his story that begins around verse eight in chapter six, right? And all of chapter seven is about basically his sermon, his death, um, and his faith and his boldness. So we want to make sure that we make note of Stephen being called a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then Nicholas, it says that he is a convert uh, a convert to Judaism from Antioch. Why does that matter? So at this time, uh, we can assume that prior to his conversion, that he is a Gentile, right? So imagine the diversity in the church at this point. You have all of these people that are likely Hellenist, uh, Hellenistic Jews um, and then you have Nicholas. So Hellenistic Jews by race are actually Jews. They are from that bloodline of Jews, but they are Greek speaking. Nicholas on the other side, yes, he speaks Greek, but he is a Gentile. So this is, this is what diversity in the church should look like in our leadership, right? Everyone doesn't look the same. Everyone doesn't come from the same background, all of that, all of that, right? Um, so we want to make sure that we key in on that. In this seven that was chosen, it was not only Jews. And that's important because in verse one, it literally says, in those days, 
as the disciples were increasing, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews, right? So the um, against the Hebraic Jews. So we want to keep that in mind. Uh, we know that all of the disciples were Jews. We know that. And they are allowing um, a Jewish convert to be a part of this leadership team, if you will, uh, to serve other people. So let's keep that in mind. So what can we take from, cho uh, from the choosing of the seven, right? Church leaders cannot do everything. And I think that the apostles make that very clear in verse two. Um, where it says it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now, it's not to say that serving uh, the lay people of the church is waiting tables, right? That's just an expression or a metaphor. Um, but it's important to know that as church leaders, we cannot attempt to do everything because we haven't been called and anointed to do every single thing, right? So that's point number one. Uh, point number two, church leaders should be intentional in building up servants in the church. And this is when we talk about servant leadership, right? So as leaders in the church, and it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, it doesn't matter if you're just a lead over an area in the church, um, who you choose and choose to build up in those positions, it matters and it's required for a healthy and growing church, right? So empowerment of people and discipleship of people are important for all church leaders. Rather, you're a pastor, an evangelist, a worship leader, whatever it may be. We have to think in terms of empowering people to spread the gospel, empowering people to serve, and those people need to be discipled, right? So let's look at servant leadership real quick. What does servant leadership afford our churches? It affords us the ability to identify blind spots of our church leaders. And I underlined and bolded with grace because I think a lot of times people don't understand how hard it is to truly be a leader in the church. And I think we have to take that into consideration. Um, it's hard that you have, uh, I, I don't want to call it this weight on your shoulders, but that's truly what it is, right? Every decision you make can affect the body of Christ at the end of the day, your local body, right? So as servant leaders, we are able to say, hey, have you considered this? Hey, what about this? Hey, this people, this group of people, as the Hellenistic Jews did, aren't being served. They're not being included, right? And we should help our church leaders identify those things, right? So the same goes for Read, Pray, Share. I would hope if someone identified a gap or if someone said, hey, have you considered this, that they would have enough confidence to come and tell Sean, Jorian, me, Kaya, Elaine, Gio, Folu, right? Everybody, Destiny. And Destiny gonna keep us right. I'm gonna tell you that. If you tell Destiny, she gonna get us right. So uh, we want to be able to help identify those blind spots with grace, right? Number two, speak up for those who need a voice. And I think that is exactly what the Hellenistic Jews were doing here, right? They identified a blind spot. And what would it have looked like if um, these widows tried to come to the apostles and they weren't heard. And it's not intentional. It's not because they're women. I mean, in some cases it can be that, right? Um, but we as leaders, as servant leaders, should be willing to speak up for those who don't have a strong voice, right? So we want to keep that in mind. Um, and the last thing I have, serve in the capacity God has called us to for the, for the building and protection of all who make up the church, right? So as servant leaders, we, we are servants of the Lord, right? A hundred percent. And we should be willing, number one, to build up the church. And I hit on this last week that as people in the church in general, it is our job, not just the pastor's job, not just the elder job, not just the deacon's job, not just the worship leader's job. It is all of our jobs to build up and protect the church, right? To build up the people who make up the church, right? If we don't protect us, why do we expect anyone outside of the church to respect us, to follow us, to believe in our King, right? Jesus Christ. Why would any of that happen if we're not willing to protect what we call our home, right? The church, the body of Christ. So all that to say, Servant leadership is vital to the growth and the health of the church, its members, and its leaders, right? So when we have a construct of people and accountability, I believe that that induces growth and health in the church, right? Um, if leaders aren't able to be held accountable, we need to have a different conversation. If I'm not confident in going to tell a leader, hey, maybe this wasn't right. Maybe you didn't consider this group of people. 
maybe if you shifted your perspective and put your put yourself in the shoes of a, one of the lay people, you could see it from a different perspective, right? And we have to be willing to have those tough conversations, right? So servant leadership is vital to the church on all levels, okay? All right, so let's let's take a look at what it means to be devoted uh, to the call. And I really I really enjoyed this part of the text because I think that one, it, it hits on what we talked about last week, um, but two, it gives us the perspective that we are all called to serve somewhere. And if we could all be devoted to that one place, where would the church go? And all I see is it be astronomically uh, increasing, right? So, and the scriptures even tell that, tell us that, and we'll look at that as well. So devoted to the call, let's look at verse two. Um, it says, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. We already hit on this, but I want to say in through this verse, we can see that the apostles knew what they were called to do. And I think that is why it is so vital for us to be seeking the Lord, seeking his face and asking, Lord, in this season, maybe it might not even be for your entire life. But in this season, what are you calling me to? What aren't you calling me to? And we're going to talk about that in a second. Verse four, they go on to say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, right? And I think that sometimes as servant leaders, as um, church leaders, as pastors, as worship leaders, all the things, right, that we want to help people so badly, which is beautiful. We have hearts for people, right? But we want to be a part of every single thing that, um, we're good at all things, but expert at no thing, right? And I think that in this, we see, we know that the apostles had become experts in prayer and experts in the ministry of the word. They could teach it, they could preach it, but most of all, they modeled it and they lived it, right? So if I could be devoted to what the, what God has called me to do, then I become a, an expert in something, right? The Lord knows I can choose you to do this thing. And I know that you will do it greatly. And it's not to say that we can't be good at multiple things, but I think in some seasons when we're trying to do too much that we get tired, we get burnt out and we can't fully serve the church like we need to, right? We can't fully serve our families like we need to. And we gotta keep that in mind, right? So I love that the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And they followed up with that by appointing seven that could do something that they were anointed to do, right? So in verse six, they actually go on to commission the seven. And it says that they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, right? So they were commissioned to serve. They were commissioned to go out uh, and spread the gospel. And some of those areas and those blind spots that were identified, obviously in this case, it was the widows being passed up in the daily distribution. Um, they were serving in that capacity. And it lit in the scriptures, it literally says that the people agreed with this, right? They agreed with the choosing of the seven. They came to a conclusion where everyone was good, everyone was being served, and there was no issues, quote unquote, uh, at this point, right? Because the apostles made a judgment call and it was the right call. So let, what are some of the points we should consider from this? Do what God is calling you to do. And I'm going to keep saying that uh, throughout chapter six, um, recognize what is outside of your calling, right? Stay in your lane. And I think that sometimes it's so easy when we're trying to figure out our purpose, our calling, what the Lord is asking us to do in a season that we're just like, okay, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try this. And sometimes we don't intentionally seek his face, seek his heart on what we should be doing. So we have to learn to recognize what is outside of our calling, right? And we have to stay in our lane. The last thing, commission others in their calling. So as church leaders, that is so vital, right? That we send people out well. And I think that a lot of times in our churches now, unfortunately, that we have a church leadership that wants to do everything, that wants to control everything, will I say. And that can be very dangerous, right? Because if we're saying that we're promoting discipleship, we're promoting growth of the church, yet we don't allow our people to do anything, we don't allow them the opportunity to be empowered, the opportunity to be discipled, the opportunity to be uh, released, to go do things, then we're not truly saying we want our churches to grow and be healthy, right? So as leaders, especially, this is a bullet for people that are leaders in any capacity, commission others in their calling, right? 
All right. So what was the outcome? So I wanted to look at this verse in three different translations. And I love how each of them are written out there. They all were worded beautifully, but I want to look at these three, right? So this is Acts chapter six, verse seven. And it says, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. That's the Christian standard Bible translation. Uh, the message version says this, the word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically, not least a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. And now we're going to look at, at the, um, the passion translation. And it says God's word reigned supreme. I love that. And kept spreading the number of Jesus's followers in Jerusalem grew quickly and increased by the day. Even a great number of Jewish priests became believers and were obedient to the faith. So what happens when we all play our role, when we all stay in our lane, when we are all devoted to the calling, right? We see here, people in the church, not people, the church increases greatly in number. And it says the disciples, and I love that. So that means that people, that means those are people that are submitted to the teaching of the word, that are submitted to doing life together, right? That are submitted to the calling of God, that number is increasing. So what would the church look like today if we were all devoted to our calling, right? If we were all submitted to our church leadership, rather that be apostles, rather that be the small group leader, whatever it may be, whatever capacity, right? The head of greeting at the church, what would it look like if we were submitted to that? And the scripture tells us, God's word reigns uh, supreme and it continues to spread. And ultimately, if we don't do anything else, right, we are called to love God and we are called to love people. And we are commissioned in Matthew 28 to spread the gospel, right? And to teach everyone all the things that Jesus has commanded and to baptize them, right? So that's the outcome. We got to keep that in mind. All right, so what's the key takeaway? And I, I said this earlier, but I'm gonna reiterate it, right? Um, servant leadership is vital to the growth and health of the church, its members and leaders. Leadership does not require an official title. And I believe that at times, because we don't have that title as pastor, that title as evangelist, that title as elder, as deacon, as minister, whatever it may be, it might stop us from saying, I can actually lead in the church, but that is not true, right? And we learn that um, in the first seven verses of Acts chapter seven. Um, and we wanna make sure that we highlight that in Acts, excuse me, Acts chapter six, verses one through seven, that never in that portion does the scripture give those seven a title. It just calls them the seven, right? So let's keep, uh, let's keep that in mind as we are becoming servant leaders in our church. All right. So now the next um, portion of the scripture, Acts chapter six, starting at verse eight through the end of verse six, and then seven, the entire chapter, uh, we learned about Stephen, the first Christian martyr, right? So Acts chapter six, verses eight through 15, we learn of Stephen's bold faith and his persecution. What gets Stephen even into preaching to the Sanhedrin, right? Um, Acts chapter seven, verses one through 50, and we're not going to read every single verse, like I said, um, but that is Stephen's sermon to the Sanhedrin. We know that the Sanhedrin is Jewish leaders. There's a high priest, and then you have the Pharisees, and then you have the Sadducees, right? Um, Acts chapter seven, verses 51 through 53, Stephen's criticism of the Sanhedrin, and this is really what gets their blood boiling, right? Um, and then we have Acts chapter seven, verses 54 through 60, Stephen's final words, his death, and then we are introduced to our favorite person, aside from Jesus, <laughs> we're introduced to Paul, right? Um, or Saul at the time before his name is changed. So let's go through it real quick. Here. So we're going to look at um, verses eight through 15, and this is still in chapter six. Now, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders, um, signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue composed uh, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Sicilia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen, but they were unable to stand against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. 
Then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. People be lying, right? And we're going to talk about that. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes. So they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this palace and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And we were all sitting in the Sanhedrin looked up, excuse me, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I love that last part. All right. So how many of us, have ever been persecuted, right, outside of the gospel. And if you want to say yes, put a one in the chat. Um, and if you don't want to answer, that's okay too. So um, I'll read that again. And obviously it's on the screen. How many of us have ever been persecuted outside of the gospel? So maybe for a belief in something, you know, that you find to be true. Um, maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your leadership position. Any of those things, right? I want us to take a second to consider that. Have I ever been persecuted for something outside of the gospel? And I'm going to go on to the next slide. Now, the, uh, the next thing, another question. How many of us have ever um, been fill in the blank for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That could mean persecuted, lied on, mocked, oppressed, flogged, which just means to be beat, perjured, disgraced, afflicted, abused. And lastly, martyred. Now, none of us have been martyred, obviously, because we are here. <laughs> um, and martyred simply means to be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Um, but let's consider that. So what is the cost of evangelism in a spirit-filled life? Number one, opposition. Um, our obedience to the Lord's instruction, as we talked about last week, will always confuse those outside of his will. Our or obedience will be met with opposition. So anyone that is against the word of God, and a lot of times it's someone that's against truth. Maybe they're not specifically just against Jesus as Lord, but maybe they're against, well, it's not that serious, right? Maybe the words that Jesus has spoken to us, the commands that we've been giving to love the Lord our God, right? And to love our neighbor, it's not that serious. You made me mad. You pissed me off. So now I'm opposing you, right? I don't, fully comprehend or interpret the scriptures like you do. Maybe I'm meeting opposition there, right? Obedience will be met with opposition. And I think that um, though that that's a hard pill to swallow, uh, we have to keep that in mind, right? Persecution. Um, persecution is simply hostility and ill treatment um, as a result of, you know, something that we're doing. And I believe that evangelism, um, you know, persecution isn't always being hit. It's not always being whipped. It's not always being beat, right? But if you're met with hostility, maybe you're called to be a street disciple, right? To minister the word in that capacity, you'll be persecuted, right? Um, maybe it's in, in a group that you're with, right? Maybe it's your friend group where, you know, don't come here with all that Jesus stuff. You know, we're here to have a good time, right? Um, that can be a form of persecution when you're trying to spread the gospel, right? But scripture tells us to fear not for God is with us. And we need to keep that in mind. And I think that as we are praying for boldness and courageousness in spreading the gospel and sharing our faith, um, that we have to know that the, there's a possibility of persecution, right? And destruction by deception. And I love, this is, uh, Tony Evans really put this into perspective for me. Um, and he says something along the lines of what I have written here. Unbelievers who are against the church will do anything to hinder the spreading of the gospel. They will oppose, they will persecute, they will lie, and they will deceive others to silence the gospel message, right? So in our prayers, we have to be asking God, make me bold, please make me courageous. And most of all, Holy Spirit, lead me into what you're calling me to do. Um, because the a spirit-filled life and a life where we are all commissioned to evangelize, right? If all of us aren't called to do something, we are all called to share the gospel, right? And that is the foundation of evangelism, uh, a willingness to share the gospel, a willingness to be bold and to be courageous in telling people about Jesus, right? And that's hard in the world that we live in. I understand that. 
but we have to be committed to that at a minimum, right? And we talked about total commitment to Christ last week. So I'm not going to dive too far into that, but that's something to keep in mind that destruction by deception. And when I say destruction, I mean destruction of people's behaviors, of their mindsets, maybe even of their calling because people are leading them away from Christ, right? So let's keep that in mind. So key takeaways, the spiritual fruit produced through evangelism, number one, is an eternal reward, right? And I have that written five times because I think that um, when we think about possible suffering um, in spreading the gospel and evangelizing in stepping into our calling, we have to remember that the spiritual fruit produced not only through evangelism, but by doing anything that God has called us to do is 100% an eternal reward. So I ask, what is your willingness to carry the gospel in its fullness, knowing the cost of evangelism, right? And that's something that we, we should consider, right? Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to lose the friends? Am I willing to maybe lose the job? Am I willing maybe to be kicked out of the small group? Am I willing to maybe be asked to leave the church for the gospel, right? The, the local body, obviously, that we may attend. Um, am I willing to end the relationship? We have to think of those types of things. Um, if we're truly wanting to carry the gospel in the fullness that God has called us to carry it in, right? So let's move on to Stephen's sermon. So I, this is the breakdown of his sermon, right? So um, verses one through eight, we go through the covenant that um, was made between Abraham and God. Um, you have the patriarchs in Egypt. So that's just the 12 disciples, or excuse me, the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. Um, Moses as a rejected servant, verses 17 through 39. Um, Israel's rebellion against God, and that really hits on their worship of the golden calf that um, Aaron allows to be built. That's verses 40 through 43. And then God's tabernacle, verses 44 through 50, right? And this is really, uh, we see in the Old Testament that um, when the when the tabernacle is built, God is very clear that I do not dwell in man-made structures, right? And I think what we see from the Jewish leaders in the New Testament under the new covenant is that they're willing to protect everything, but actually, but not abide by the word of God. We're going to, we're going to dive into that here in a second. All right. So the Israelites versus the Sanhedrin. And, and that's what I love about this portion of the scripture in chapter seven, because um, it's as if Stephen is holding a mirror, literally, and it's telling the Sanhedrin, you're doing the same things that the Israelites did in the Old Testament, um, and you're mad that we're calling you out about it, right? So uh, faith of their father, that's the first thing, right? So um, the first portion of the scripture talks about the uh, covenant that God makes with Abraham. And I believe it's a reminder of Abraham's obedience first, right? So when Abraham was called to leave his father's house, right, to leave Mesopotamia, that was on faith, right? Um, and obviously, we he's called the father of our faith and all those things. But from that, once that covenant between God and Abraham is made, right, that you will be father of many nations, that was significant of the birth of a nation, right? the birth of Israel would come out of the house of Abraham, right? So the birth of a nation, the Jews, and it's also significant in God choosing his people, right? Choosing the Israelites as his chosen people, the ones whom and he loved, all that, right? So that's the first thing. So what the, the Sanhedrin should have realized is you are not living in obedience, right? Um, as Jesus came, we know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always trying to trip him up. And ultimately, um, they were a big cause of him like dying on the cross. We know that it was divine appointment. We know that he was called to do that. Um, but a large part of it was because of their disobedience and their unwillingness, right, to submit. So that's number one. Um, they are reminded of the covenant with Abraham, which is significant to obedience, the birth of a nation, and God's choosing of his people. Now, the next thing is rejection of God's chosen, right? So in the next portion of scripture, when it talks about the patriarchs in Egypt, it talks about Joseph as um, a savior, you know, to the land of Egypt and to his family, the 12 tribes, right? 
And so he was rejected by his brothers, right? Um, and we see that story all throughout Genesis. We see, all, not all throughout Genesis, but in the latter half of Genesis, right? Um, so the one that God would choose to save Egypt and the 12 tribes was rejected. Um, and we know that the Sanhedrin continuously rejected um, those who were called as God's chosen people. That was continuous, right? They rejected Jesus. They rejected the apostles. Later on throughout the scriptures, we'll see that even Paul was rejected. And that's not necessarily only by the Sanhedrin, but by many leaders, right? Um, so let's keep that in mind, that they are being this. And it's not as if they didn't already know all this information, right? We know that the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, the high priests, all these people were considered on paper experts of the law. So they knew all these things. So in this instant, again, it's it's Stephen holding up a mirror to say, you know all this word, yet you don't live by it, right? Um, so next, the Mosaic law, right? So that's the, the law of Moses. And we know that Moses was also God's chosen servant who was, in, who was continually rejected by the Israelites, right? So one day they'd listen, the next day they wouldn't. Um, the Sanhedrin continually rejected God's chosen servants. And the Sanhedrin, again, just like with Joseph, uh, just like that story, um, the Sanhedrin continued to reject the chosen leaders of God, right? And we need to keep that in mind. So the Jews' rejection of Moses eventually led them into rebellion against God. And I think that in this instance, you see that with the Sanhedrin. Um, they're willing to um, make sure other people are abiding by the law. So they're willing to enforce the law but they're not willing to truly live by it. And we see that they are living in rebellion. They're not willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. They're willing to beat and even kill people for preaching the message. We remember in chapter five that continually they told the, or the, the apostles to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so we know that they were living in rebellion. Um, so the Sanhedrin was considered more obedient to the law, to the words on the paper than actually to God, right? And that leads us to God's tabernacle, right? So the Israelites had built a temple. We know that in the in the New Test or in the Old Testament, excuse me. And that was under King Solomon, right? Um, and, and we are reminded um, of God's words in this portion of the text where it says, you know, I do not dwell in man-made structures, right? Um, God is above that. He cannot be contained in a temple. It should not only be in the church, right, today that we are willing to obey. I should be able uh, to not be able, but I should be willing to obey outside of the church. So that's Sunday through Saturday, not just Sunday, right, and Wednesdays at Bible study. Um, we should be willing and ready to obey at any time. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. And the Sanhedrin believed that they did that, right? Um, so the Sanhedrin was more concerned with protection of the temple than with abiding by God's word and protecting his people. And I think that sometimes church leaders, unfortunately, fall into that. They're willing to save face for the church. And it's really not even for the church. It's for themselves. Um, when there's moral failures, when there's financial failures, any, any of those types of things. Right. And we have to keep that in mind. At the end of the day, I should be protecting the people of God. God can protect himself. Right. So the building means essentially nothing if the people within it aren't actually protected, right? Um, so as leaders, as servant leaders, as church leaders, as pastors, any of those things, we need to keep the people and obedience at the forefront of our minds, right? So let's move on. Um, so then Stephen goes on to critique <laughs> um, the Sanhedrin. And this is really when they got upset. This is really when they got mad, right? Um, and so these are the four things that Jesus goes on to, or not Jesus, excuse me, that Stephen goes on to tell the Sanhedrin. He first says, uncircumcised hearts and ears. So what does that mean, right? Um, the Sanhedrin was not truly in covenant with God. Let's make that clear. And so we know that circumcision in the Old Testament was an outer display of the covenant that God's people was making with him, right? So let's keep that in mind. Um, they did not allow the law and prophecy, obviously prophecy fulfilled through Jesus to truly change their hearts. 
So this is why their hearts are being called uncircumcised and their ears are being called, uh, being called uncircumcised. And one thing as I was studying this text that I remember, I remembered is that we know that scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. And because they didn't have uh, circumcised ears and hearts, they couldn't even receive the faith that Jesus was offering, right? The faith that salvation is offering. And we got to keep that in mind. Number two, resistance to the Holy Spirit. At any point in your life, if you are resisting the Holy Spirit and many of us, as we are growing in Christ, are having an ear that is attuned to hearing him. And it's never, most of the time, going to be super loud. It's going to be a soft, still voice, right? That is telling us, that is convicting us. And in the moments where we become complacent to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we allow our flesh to flesh, right? We allow our flesh to lead us into disobedience. We allow our flesh to lead us into evil, whatever it may be, right? Even partial disobedience, that's still disobedience, right? So when we resist the Holy Spirit, we are unwilling to respond to the voice of God at the end of the day, right? And that is a very dangerous and scary place to be not only as church leaders, but even as lay people in the church, right? That's a very scary place to be to say, I actually don't want to hear that right now. I'm actually not going to obey that right now, right? Very dangerous place to be. Um, so let's keep that in mind. Persecution of the prophets. So I love that this again is the is Stephen holding up the mirror. The same way that the, the prophets of old were were persecuted, right? They were persecuted by kings. They were persecuted by people, all those things. The Sanhedrin literally mirrors and models that same behavior. And we know that prophets are, are chosen people, right? Everybody can't just say I'm a prophet. And that's just the bottom line, right? And so the mere fact that they say, I live by the law, I abide by the law, but I'm not willing to take heed to the word of God's spokesman and I will persecute them, I will kill them, I will beat them, I will abuse them, I will dishonor them. It's as if they're doing it to the Lord, right? So for us, and I think that, you know, we hit on this last week that we live in, we live in a society right now where anytime we disagree with someone, especially in the church, they are a false prophet, they are a false teacher, all these things, right? And hopefully, and I'm trying to say this in the most graceful way. God forbid I call someone a false prophet. And as the scriptures alluded to last week, I am going against God, right? And that's another, a very scary place to be in. And we have to be, um, we have to be intentional about seeking the Lord, about testing the spirit by the spirit to know first if someone is sent by God because there are indicators, right? Scripture tells us to look at their fruit, but a lot of times, many people are willing to just say, I don't agree with that, you're a false prophet. And that is even a form of persecution, and a lot of us don't even realize that, right? So I won't beat that dead horse, but we need to keep that in mind. And the last thing, disobedience to the law. And I'm pretty sure that this is what set them off. This is what made you know the, the water boil over the top of the pot. Um, because as we talked about the Sanhedrin, those that made up the Sanhedrin were considered experts in the law. So you're telling me that I'm an expert in the law, but I'm being disobedient to the law, right? And they thought that they could do no wrong, even though that their, their hearts were not pure, their hearts weren't truly for God, right? Um, they wanted to, you know, have the appearance that I follow God, I trust God, I obey God, but their hearts were far from it, Right. So we got to keep that in mind. So I ask everyone to do a heart check. If my life was assessed, would I be guilty of any of the above, right? Has my heart become so hardened, right? Do I have an uncircumcised heart that I can't even receive faith by hearing now, right? Am I resistant to the Holy Spirit? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. And that's a tough one because a lot of times we believe I'm doing what God called me to do but you're being ugly and, and rude to someone, right? You're not being kind. You're not being gentle. You're not having self-control, right? Have I become resistant to the Holy Spirit? Have I persecuted anyone? 
right? And a lot of times, and I'm not going to beat that dead horse, but the dead horse, but social media has become a place of persecution of the church by the church. And I'm just going to leave that at that, right? And disobedience to the law. And I, I understand we are under the new covenant. So I asked you to assess, have I been disobedient to the commands of Jesus, to the commands of through the apostles, right? In the word, in the New Testament, right? In the greatest of the two, have I loved the Lord, my God, with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul? And have I loved my neighbor, right? Most things will hinge off of those two great commands. What we, How we should be assessing many of the things that we've been commanded is by those two great commands, right? So let's move forward. We're almost done. So I want to read um, verses 54 through 60 real quick. Um, and I'm going to read it actually. I don't have it on the screen, but if you have your Bible, um, go ahead and um, turn with me to verse 54, right? And it says, when they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59 says, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Some versions say he fell asleep, um, right? Um, but this is the life of Stephen, right? This is the life of one who was called uh, to be a servant leader but one who was also called to evangelize. And I think that through his story, very brief story in the scripture, um, we see the true, like the most extreme cost of evangelism. And this isn't to say, be afraid to evangelize at all, right? Um, because it, again, it is our greatest privilege and opportunity to be able to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but I wanna look at some similarities in Jesus's final words, right? And Stephen's final words, right? So he says, Lord, receive my spirit. And we know that Jesus said something very similar. And he literally says, Lord Jesus, forgive them. Um, and Jesus goes on to say, for they know not what they do. And some versions of this uh, of this portion of text say that same thing. Um, and one thing that I really loved, um, that I thought about, that I marinated on as I was preparing for today was, how will Jesus how will Jesus receive me at the end of my life? And that's a hard question to ask ourselves, you know? And it's not that we are able to, to measure the things that we've done, to measure this, that, and the third, but how am I preparing to be received at the end of my life, right? And I think that that's what's so beautiful. And one of the things that I love that Tony Evans hits on in his study Bible is um, for verse 56, um, it says that, Stephen says, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And it was as if, I love how uh, Tony Evans puts it. It's as if Jesus was giving Stephen a standing ovation for his willingness to die for the gospel, right? And this isn't to say, go looking for trouble to die for the gospel, right? Um, this isn't to say that in our lifetime, we will be required to die for the gospel physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and even sometimes mentally, we will have to die for the gospel. And I think that especially on the spiritual and emotional piece, that can be the hardest thing, having to let things go, having to let people go, right? That's the hardest thing, having to sacrifice, having a sacrificial love for the gospel of Jesus Christ is not easy. And I'm not gonna sit here and act like it is. And so I love that the scripture alludes to literally Jesus being ready to receive Stephen, right? And we got to consider that. So how will Jesus receive you at the end of your life? And what will you do 
with that in mind, what will I do with my salvation and calling? At the end of my life, will Jesus be able to actually receive what I've done, right, on this side of eternity? And so that's really my final thought, you know. What will you do with your salvation and calling? And when we're thinking about becoming the church that God intended, right, it's a great phrase, it's a great slogan, um, but if I'm not able to actually, and I, I don't even want to use the word measure, but if I don't even consider okay, I've been giving this great, I've been given this great gift. Am I willing to share that gift? I know that scripture tells me that the Lord has anointed me to do something. And maybe it's not teaching. You know, maybe it's not being a street disciple. Maybe it's not leading the worship team. But I know that I've been called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And I hate to say at a bare minimum, but it's literally, am I willing to tell one person about the goodness of God. And I think that um, a lot of times, you know, we see now that the gospel has be become something of only suffering or the gospel has become something negative where it's like, you're gonna sin or you're a sinner, you're gonna go to hell, X, Y, Z. And it's like, no, the gospel is about receiving the gift of Jesus Christ and understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? We are living in the present and yet to come kingdom right now, right? And so I ask again, what will you do with your salvation and your calling? What are you willing to give? What are you willing to sacrifice, right? And that's something that we have to assess regularly, especially when we talk about, like I said, becoming the church that God intended. And this is a day-by-day -day thing. This isn't saying you got to get it all together today. You got to do this. You got to do that. Because Christianity, Following Christ is not about checking a mark in a box, right? Checking the mark off, checking the box off. That's not what it's about. But it's about yielding to the spirit. It's about following the things that Jesus has told us, right? We know that the word of God is living and breathing. So how am I assessing what I'm doing with my salvation and what I'm doing with my calling? And I want to end right there. Um, I'll turn it back over to Kaya for the call to salvation but I do want to leave us with that final thought. So thank you for letting me share. Um, and I hope that this word um, is able to sit in your spirit and sit in your heart and that we're all able to make that assessment. Thank you for sharing this and bringing the word on today. So before we leave this space, um, after receiving this message, we always like to give everyone the opportunity to respond, not even looking at the chat, 